0: I shall rise from the dead. I shall see the Son of God, the, the Son of glory, and shine myself as that sun shines. I will be united with the ancient of days, with God himself who had no beginning, no, no morning. I shall be united with him. No man has seen him and lived And yet I will not live until I see him. And when I see him, I shall never die. Isn't that awesome, folks? Isn't that a tremendous hope that is in your life and in my life? I think we do no greater thing for our soul as we try to live in this world, as we try to endure this world. We do no greater thing for our soul than to dream on heaven, think on heaven, study heaven, we need to discipline ourselves, not, not just to wait till the next sermon series is here or the, the next book comes out, but we do well to discipline ourselves to think about heaven every week, to, to find those verses, those passages to think about what this means to our life. And it, and it has been my prayer, my goal that this summer would, would add some flesh and bones to your thoughts about heaven, right? That, that adds some concrete. Man, something to anchor to when you're thinking about, when you're longing for heaven. And boy, I hope you've seen this summer. Man, heaven's a very real place, isn't it? It's not just marshmallow clouds and floating around eternally with a smile on your face. No, heaven's a real place with real people who live in real and meaningful relationships, who live meaningful and purposeful lives. Well, we've said that, that heaven is the, the very best of nature. It's the very best of the city. It's the very best of our relationships. Now, we can kind of imagine those things, right? But heaven is all of those things minus any, any mixture, any touch of, of sin or, or death or fear. We've never experienced anything that those things haven't touched, no matter how good they were. That maybe is the hard part to imagine about heaven. But folks, all of these things that we think on and long for, all these, this joy and blessing that goes with heaven, folks, none of those things are the real prize. God is the prize of heaven, right? God is the great prize. I said last week, I want to say it again this week, heaven without God is hell. Anything we enjoy, everything that we will enjoy, that we will experience in heaven is little more than a byproduct of being in God's presence, of getting to behold and see God. You know, folks, it's not going to be just the first day. It's going to be every day that the eternal joy of heaven is getting to see is, is getting to behold our God. Can we imagine how fulfilling and satisfying that's going to be? Think, think about pieces of creation that you enjoy, that, that, that fill you with may, maybe a sense of peace, maybe a sense of awe, maybe a, a sense of excitement. It, it might be, uh, you, you know, it might be the, th- the big things like the beach. A lot of us, we arrive, boy, the moment we see that beach, there's just a, a sense of peace, right? There's a sense of excitement. Maybe it's smaller things. You get into all the colors and varieties of flowers or all the colors and varieties of, of the birds or maybe back to some big things. Man, I, I get it from the mountains, right? You know, I, I have been, I think, every year of my life, probably one or two missing, I think almost every year of my life I've been to the Colorado Rockies. And I used to wonder, I don't wonder this anymore. I used to wonder, will it ever become old hat? Will it ever become, yeah, like, oh yeah, sure, man, I love this, it's great. I've seen it before, I've done this before, but y- y- you know, will, will it ever kind of lose its, its luster? And, and you know, folks, I honestly, I can say that today, when I come out of, the, out of the Denver airport and start making my way up into the Rockies, I get more sense of joy more a sense of awe and overwhelming, more a sense of peace today than I did 20 years ago. It hadn't, got, it hadn't become dull or kind of used to it. It's become better than it's, than it's ever been. You know, I think we all have things, like very small things, maybe big things, but we've got pieces of creation out there that, that bring us that sense of joy and peace and awe. And folks, those are they're just pieces, if looking at pieces of creation can do that for us, then what in the world will it mean to behold the creator of all of those pieces? To see him and really begin to live. Boy, the scripture sure tells us we're going to see him. Revelation 22 says his servants will worship him and they will see his face. First John chapter 3 says, Beloved, we're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You know, folks, it is my belief, it is my assumption that every one of us in here wants to see God. I I, I probably am pretty close to being right on that. I mean, gosh, if just nothing else out of curiosity, right? See what the guy looks like. We want to see God. Some would be much more than curious. Some of us, it is the great longing. It is the great desire of our life. It is what we move toward with our being to see God. And yet, I would say to the person in here who wants to see God more than all the rest of us, I think even you probably cannot imagine how fulfilling, how meaningful, how significant it is going to be to see God. How, how that will be an ongoing, eternal experience. You know, Moses wanted to see God. Now, Moses, think about that. Mo- Moses is the guy for whom God said was the most humble man on the earth. Moses, this is the guy that scripture says in Deuteronomy, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew what? Face to face. You know, it's interesting about this statement face-to-face, and I I always like to read Scripture literal before I take it any other way, but but this is not to be taken literal. This is a a metaphor. This is a phrase trying to capture the, the closeness, the uniqueness of the closeness that God and Moses enjoyed. And it uses this to, to kind of define that, that proximity and that closeness. But he actually did not look at him face to face. You say, well, how do you know that? Because the scripture tells me that. We, we see this in numbers because you see God, or Moses did say, God, I want to see your face. I mean, I, I, I really want to see you. And this is what God said. Hey, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord But you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live." Why would Moses, I mean, we, we just heard how he was described, right? We, we know what God thinks, I mean, Moses, man, this is the guy. Why, why would Moses not be able to see God? Why, why would we not be able to do that? You know, folks, on the one hand, as I I believe it's hard for us to imagine, to to fully comprehend how satisfying, how amazing it's going to be to see God, I I think on the other hand, we also cannot fathom, we also cannot grasp, we also cannot understand why why we can't see Him. Because we can't grasp words like holiness. We can do Bible studies on it. We can define it. We can talk about it. I I, I don't think there's any real way on this planet we are going to fully comprehend. We're going to fully grasp holiness, transcendence, inapproachability. Well, here's an easy word. I don't think we can grasp it. Purity. Well, we might understand the word purity as it relates to things on this earth, We don't understand it as that word defines and describes God. We can't grasp that. And so we cannot understand fully how unsafe it is to see God. How much unlike God we are. The Scripture does indeed say in Hebrews chapter 12 that without holiness, without holiness, no one, no one is going to see the Lord. Okay, I... And I want to see God, don't you? Okay, so how, how do I become holy? How, how, how does that happen? Now, folks, to understand how we become holy, you have to understand what the question is not. When I ask, when we ask, how can I, how can we become holy? We're not asking, how can I be good? How can I be good enough? How can I be better than a lot? I mean, gosh, God's got to let somebody in heaven, right? I mean, as long as I'm ahead of the curve... No, oh, those questions don't even approach holiness. How, how can I be religious? That, that's not the question. The question is, how can I, how can you be holy when no matter how good we are, when no matter how religious we are, folks, there's just junk going on inside. There's just sin that is there. There is an answer, by the way, one answer, one answer for the person born in 2014 B.C., one person, one answer for the person born in 2014 A.D., one person, one answer for the the, the rich, one answer for the poor, for the young, the old, male, female. There's one answer for that person that our world would say, now that's a good person. What? That person needs the answer. And it's the same answer for the person that our world would say, now that person's evil. Good and evil, they need the same answer. Our world would describe some as very religious. And then there's others that are irreligious. Guess what? Both of them need the same answer. And that answer is Jesus Christ. And what what do we, okay, Jesus Christ, what, what do we mean by that? When we say Jesus is the answer, Folks, it's it's what He did for you. It's what He provides for you. It's what He enables you to become, enables you to be. Two passages I want us to see. Hebrews chapter 10. We have been sanctified. Hold on to that word, sanctified. We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It just took one cross, doesn't doesn't have to happen each generation, doesn't have to happen each year, not something done over and over and over, but one time on the cross Jesus accomplished this. Romans chapter 5, since therefore we have been justified, hold on to that word justified, you got two words in your hands now, right? we got justified and we've got sanctified. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Two words, justified and sanctified. Biblical terms that are basically defining the process by which you and I have the opportunity to be holy. That first word justified is a legal term. You would hear it in a court of law. Literally, imagine yourself in the courts of heaven, God sitting up there, and and the gavel comes down to pronounce you holy. Holy. Justification is a declaration that you are holy. You don't get that declaration because of how good you were or how religious you were. You get that declaration when you come under the blood of Jesus Christ. When your faith is in His work. When your hope is in His work. When your full confidence is in Him. Romans 5, 9 says, Then at that moment you are justified. You are declared holy. Now, sanctification... Is you and I starting to live out what's been declared about us. God declares us holy. Sanctification is us beginning to grow in that holiness, us beginning to live out that holiness. Now, how was this process of us becoming holy accomplished? The broken body of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. Hey, we're that's what we're doing today, right? The Lord's table the Lord's Supper. Did you ever kind of put put it together like that? That the the Lord's Supper, what we're remembering, what we're celebrating is our one single opportunity in life to see God. The Lord's table sends us back, because what are we doing? We're remembering. If I'm remembering, I'm going to the past. So it sends us back to remember that incredible act of love, That that sacrificial act of love, that faithful act of love, that clearly demonstrated act of love by God for you, and it calls me to remember that, to think on that, but it also sends me forward. Let me show you real quickly how it does that. Let's look at the Lord's Supper. Turn and look with me at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. In your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Get to John, you've gone too far. Luke 22. And we're going to begin reading in verse 14. Of course, this is a a description of the Lord's Supper. It's happening in the upper room. It's happening on Thursday night. It's Thursday night, hours before Jesus is going to be arrested. The night before, he is going to be crucified. And this is what is happening. Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. We're sent backwards to remember. But folks, did you hear that in that command twice, not once, but twice, it says what? I'm not going to do this again. There's a command on you and I to come to this table. To, to, to celebrate this moment, to remember this moment, to use the, the bread and the drink for a specific purpose. But he says, I won't do this again until what? Until I'm in heaven with y'all. Until we're together sitting down at the table doing this. In other words, as we've gone backwards to remember, Jesus also plants a vision of you and I celebrating this same meal with him in heaven. And he says, listen, while I want y'all to do this, I'm not going to do it again until y'all are there. Till we're what? Till we're sitting down and beholding God face to face. Now, folks, in a moment, our, our deacons will come and they'll begin to, to pass out the elements. You know, the Scripture really refers to this as a, a very, not only a special time, but a sacred time. It's an important time. The, the Scripture commands that you and I think, that we meditate, that we remember on what, what went on back there. Well, I wonder if there's anybody in here. The answer is yes. <laughs> Who this past week maybe had a stray thought run through their mind, I'm not loved. Nobody sees me. Nobody cares about me stop it. Go back to the cross. You are incredibly loved. And there's an incredible demonstration of how much you are loved and what you mean to God. We're to go back there and we're to remember that love. Now, folks, if you're like me, when I'm When I'm thinking on God's love, when I'm at the Lord's table or I'm in something in Scripture and I'm thinking about how much God loves me, I mean, kind of the natural response of the soul is to start saying, I love you back, right? I want to tell God I love him. I want to tell God thank you. And it seems like when I'm doing that, what ends up happening is things start coming to my mind words, some thoughts, some actions that really don't hook up well with my expression of love. See, I'm wanting to tell God how much I love Him. I'm wanting to tell God how grateful I am for Him. But then I'm aware of these things going on in my life, maybe habitually, maybe it was just something yesterday. But there's this stuff in my life that really says, no, you don't. You didn't love God there. You didn't love God when you were saying, oh gosh, yeah, I didn't. There's that junk And so Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that as we approach this table, as we approach this time, man, let's clean up the junk. We need to confess. And that's just simply acknowledging, man, Lord, I'm wanting to tell you I love you, but I know over here when I said that, that sure doesn't tell you how much I love you. I know that doing that, boy, that breaks your heart. I know that when I treated that person that way, that, that grieves you. And we just start confessing those places that are really contrary to the love we're trying to express to him. And then in that, we also start asking for the, the strength, the faith to actually repent. Because folks, confession is not just about feeling sorry. I, folks, way more times than not, unfortunately, in my life, I have told God I'm sorry for a sin that I, in reality I had no plan or intention of not returning to it. I'm really sorry I did this. Probably going to do it tomorrow and probably not doing anything to keep myself from doing it tomorrow. Folks, God doesn't call us to come to this time and feel real bad about ourselves. He doesn't call us to come to this time and feel guilty. He calls us to come to this time and remember how much we're loved. And the product of that should be a life that is not, whoa, boy, I don't feel as guilty anymore. No, a life that actually wants to Communicate love back. Live in a way that shows God how much we're appreciative and how, how much we love Him. You know, as a matter of fact, the beauty of this moment, you know, the one thing we're not doing here right now? We're not begging God for forgiveness. That, that is not anything what this moment is about. You're not coming to this moment. God, could you please? God, would you please? Please forgive me. I know that you've been forgiven. If you are born again, if you are a child of God, if you have, as Romans 5, 9 said, if you've come under the blood of Christ, you are forgiven, period. It's not that every time you say you're sorry, God promises to forgive you. No, you are forgiven. It's already a done deal. Well, why am I confessing then if I'm already given, forgiven? Because I've acted in some ways that are not very loving to a person who incredibly loves me. So we confess. We seek to really move toward repentance on those sins we confess. And then folks, we draw motivation, we draw peace, we draw joy in looking forward. Man, I'm so grateful as I try to work this junk out of my life that ultimately God takes care of that. And I will see God because of God. Amen? Amen. Folks, in just a moment our deacons will come and they'll begin to hand out the elements. And today we're using our, our, our pre-packaged elements here. And uh, just to give you a little bit of instruction, when you get it, there is a clear thin top that you want to pull off first. And then that, that's to get the wafer. Don't grab the whole top, foil and all, and rip it off. Because once you rip it off, it's hard to get the the little wafer out of there. I'm just being honest. And so uh, pull back the thin layer, the clear layer first, that'll get the wafer and then we'll pull off the other one and, and we'll get to the juice. And so they'll hand it out. You hold on to it for just a moment. Then I'll get back up and I'll, I'll lead us in taking the elements. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you enable me, enable us for a moment here, just for a moment, to be still and to know your God. Lord, I'm grateful I don't have to dive back through my life and down into the garbage and try to figure out what's there and what I need to do. Lord, I just want to hear from you in this moment. What what do you want to do in these next few moments in my life? Do I need to focus on how much loved I am by you? Do I need to confess? What what needs to be dealt with here, Lord? I just want to wait on you. I want to let you speak. And then I want to respond as I should to your voice. Lord, I pray for each one in here right now that they will hear your voice. They'll, they'll, They'll know your guidance. And they will do with this moment what you want done with this moment. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. And Jesus said, "This is my my body, and it's been broken for you." You know the Bible. the The Bible describes a love among mankind. That, that, there, that there's a love that exists, and I guess the phrase we would use is that would take a bullet for somebody else. There are people for whom there's a loyalty, there's a commitment, there's a love that they would jump in front of the bullet to save us, to protect us. And when that happens, that's what that that person is now saved for a moment. They're protected temporarily. And, And that's what this kind of represents right here, except there's a difference. Jesus did not jump in front of a bullet. Jesus jumped in front of the full wrath of God. There there was a wrath of God that should have rightly, justly been poured out on your life and on my life. And Jesus, out of love for you, jumped in front of that and he caught that wrath so that you would never have to catch or experience that wrath. And it's not a temporary rescue. It's an eternal rescue. Jesus said, remember that as you walk through this world, remember that you've been loved in that way. Take and eat. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? But there's a, there's a lot of awesome expressions of love in our world. And you know, not, not every one of those expressions of love comes to fruition, does it? I mean, we've, we've got some people who've expressed great love to us, but they fail sometimes. They, they disappoint. And sometimes people who are supposed to love us the most do much worse than fail or disappoint. They, they betray. They abandon. They reject. And so while we might be overwhelmed by this expression of, of God's love where he would jump in front of us to catch the wrath of God... Well, Will he ever change his mind? Will, will Jesus betray? Will Jesus forget? Will, will Jesus abandon? And that's where he comes and says, now I've given you my body. It's been broken to catch that wrath. But, but then there's the blood. And what this does is it seals a new covenant. Now a covenant's hard to point to on our planet. Because everything can be broken on our planet. We have contracts, right? But, you know. You pay money to get a good contract, you pay better money to figure out how to break the contract, right? I mean, there should be contracts that bind, but contracts can be broken. Biblical covenant cannot be broken without the loss of life. And Jesus used the loss of life not to break a covenant, but to strike the covenant. He gave up his own life. He used his blood to strike a covenant that can never be broken. When I tell you that I will step in front of you and catch all of God's wrath for you, there's no chance I won't do that for you. The blood seals the deal. Remember that. Take and drink. Let's pray again. Jesus, thank you for that kind of love. Thank you by your cost, by your expense, by your sacrifice, I have the opportunity to be holy and to see God. I have the opportunity not just to get a glimpse but to eternally enjoy the sight of God forever and ever. Thank you for doing that. I pray today for myself, for all of us, plants that memory, plants that realization in our lives strong and fast. And that we leave here today not not just with guilt removed, but just and freshened, enlivened, empowered by your love and your goodness. And to want to go out and live a life that will match words that say, thank you, Jesus. That will match words that say, I love you, Jesus. And I can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.